Our God is a missionary God, and we are His missionary people. You're listening to The Scent Life, the official podcast of the Center for Great Commission Studies at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. You ask the questions, we'll try to give you a good answer. Uh, We've done this before. Uh, and we're doing it again. Uh, we do this every so often on the Scent Life podcast where uh, just from our listeners, uh, you've asked some questions, some things that you're interested in, some areas you want to go deeper, uh, some things that you're intrigued about as it relates to God and his mission. And so join us again today on the Scent Life as we try to answer some of your questions. Welcome to the Scent Life Podcast. I am Greg Mathias, Associate Director here at the Center for Great Commission Studies at Southeastern, joined with my colleague and friend and co-podcaster, Dr. Scott Hildreth, who is the Director of the Center for Great Commission Studies. And as always, we don't give him enough airtime, but we have our maestro behind the mic, uh, Nathan. Uh, He is here. Say hello to the listeners, Nathan. Hello and salam in Persian. (laughs) (laughs) Nathan, Happy New Year. Thank you. This is the season of the Persian New Year, um, and so we want to tell Nathan Happy New Year for uh, him, his family, as they go through celebrations. Greg, did you have a good Easter? I did. It was a a great Easter. How about you and your family? Yeah, it was fun. You know, we don't have little kids. Well, I don't have little (laughs) kids, but my kids have little kids. And so it's a reminder again of the fun that little kids can bring uh, to Easter time, trying to remind them of the meaning and the purpose of Easter. You know, Greg, every uh, every season we try to take an opportunity to answer questions mm-hmm. that our listeners um, send in. It's kind of like Stump the Prof uh, day right. on, <laughs> on The Scent Life. And hey, if you've got more questions that you'd like for us to address, mm-hmm. just send them in. You will find uh, in the podcast link this week a way that you can send us some questions you'd like for us to address over the next coming months. And we would love to know uh, what questions you have. We've got some giveaways uh, for those of you who drop some uh, some questions in. So mm-hmm. go ahead and do that. Again, Stump the Professors uh, <laughs> happens periodically. Sometimes we get questions that uh, stump us, and uh, thankfully we don't have to tell you what they are. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, Greg, we do have several questions that came in today, and so let's, uh, let's okay. just deal with them. So the first one that jumps in uh, deals with uh, jobs and closed countries. Okay. You know, around the world, there there are some countries that uh, that missionaries can go and live in openly. Uh, we can get in with a religious visa mm-hmm. or a missionary mm-hmm. visa. Uh, there are other places around the world uh, that you have to be more creative uh, yeah. to get in. Also, there are different needs yeah. in countries that just going in as a preacher or right. whatever doesn't fit that need. So talk just a second about, uh, in your experience, uh, how it is that uh, that people can use regular jobs, right. not not religious based yeah, jobs, yeah. Uh, to uh, to be on mission. Yeah, no, that's a great question, and there's a, a lot of different ways you could approach it. And let me just say from the outset, uh, one of our friends of the podcast, the Upstream Collective, right. uh, they have a, a blog, and they've actually been on our podcast before. I actually uh, have a post coming up soon. I'm not sure ex- the exact date dealing with aspects of. Uh, of this question, but uh, but to our listener who asked this question, I, I think part of it is uh, more and more in today's world, this globalized, connected world, uh, that there are more and more 
needs and opportunities for those to go into places as believers. Mm -hmm. Sometimes uh, maybe you are sent through a missions organization, sometimes not, but you're going in and doing a a job, a vocational job of some sort. Uh, And so there's a great need for that. Again, you mentioned some of that already, Scott, in terms of some places where you go just politically, mm. uh, it's frowned upon. Uh, in fact, maybe even impossible to go in right. uh, on a religious-type visa. And so you need to do that. But but more than that, I, I think one of the reasons why even our listeners should consider what kind of skills might I have, maybe mm. what kind of education do I have, how could I leverage that for the Great Commission is uh, not only does it open up doors around the world, uh, but more and more, uh, as we take the gospel in there, uh, we're not just taking the gospel uh, outside of everyday life, mm. uh, but God wants to use your skill set. God wants to use your passions, perhaps even use your vocation mm. as you live it out as a believer. As you do a good job, you're a blessing to the community because the communities need whatever it is that right. skill has. Uh, you want to uh, you want to kind of promote the goodness and well-being there, but as you're there, you're doing it as a Christian, mm. and when you do it as a Christian, then you also can be a conduit for the gospel message, maybe to people, and in places that honestly, quote unquote, vocational missionaries or ministers can't be. Yeah. Uh, you know, I have I have uh, stories from when we lived overseas of. Uh, men and women uh, that served, maybe it was as an engineer. Hmm. Uh, I know I'm thinking of one particular story. This guy was an air traffic controller, and he had access to a whole group of people because he worked with them 40 and 50 hours a week uh, that he would have never had access to, and he had opportunities to share the gospel, uh, to participate in discipleship as people came to faith. And so he did so as a Christian, uh, but he w- his first foot wasn't as a vocational missionary. Right. So, so what we're saying is that uh, non-spiritual, non-religious uh, jobs also provide opportunities no, for right. mission. Yeah. It, both because it allows us to exercise the gifts, mm-hmm. the talents, the opportunities that God's given us. At the same time, it also serves the community. It gives us a platform. No, that's right. Uh, not one of these fake platforms. We've no, all heard stories no. of Christians mm-hmm. that, that lie about, or missionaries that lie about uh, what they do. But really just a platform as an opportunity to talk to different people. At the same time, uh, it serves the, serves the community. We bring our skills in. Uh, there are a lot of different ways to do this, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. There are mm-hmm. people who transfer uh, with no, their right. U.S. base or Western base job to somewhere else mm-hmm. overseas. Mm-hmm. So you're working in that that mm-hmm. area there's tent making opportunities yeah, where right. you go and you uh you do some type mm-hmm. of of job that allows you to um, either as an entrepreneur or something else to to be able to, to finance yourself and sometimes you do that and you hire other people yeah, as well right. to do that so there's then there's this whole idea of business as mission where yeah. you are yeah. engaged in the the missionary task as a businessman as a businesswoman uh involved in this in this endeavor so so the encouragement then is no matter who you are no matter no, what you're right. listening to us say it doesn't outlaw you from being involved in god's mission yeah or, god needs uh, all of those people whether it be a tent maker uh, whether it be somebody just going with their company as a engineer or an electrician or whatever you may be even the vocational missionary god needs all of right. that all over the world there's different ways to go and to be honest part of why we're talking about some of this as it comes to uh, jobs and and platforms and mission is uh, as the world is connected uh, the other piece is finances right I mean missions requires finances so if you can go and leverage your job or you can go as a tent maker it actually opens up other opportunities 
uh, even for other believers to step in from around the world. That's right. So, so Greg, an- another question comes in. You know, we uh, we live on a seminary campus and work on a seminary campus, uh, and we're always with young people. And mm-hmm. one of the things about working with young people who are in their 20s, there are two things on their mind here. One is can they uh, graduate and get out of here? And there's the other is mm-hmm. if they came in as a single, can they get married? <laughs> and if they do get married yeah. uh, and God allows that in their life, uh, are there ways or how do mm. they then serve together mm-hmm. as a couple? Yeah. So quick question that came in was this. What are some best practices to engage in ministry uh, when you're newly married. Mm, mm. So what do you say? You you do have done some uh, premarital counseling, uh, immediate post-marriage counseling, been involved in uh, in missionary counseling, calling, this type of thing for, for over a decade. Right. What type of advice do you give for newly married couples uh, on their pursuit of God's mission in their life now? Yeah, love this question, especially for those that might be considering marriage or maybe are newlyweds of, what does God want to do with us? Not just what does God want to do with the husband or the wife, but I believe as he calls you together to be married that he's calling you together on his mission. Uh, And so I think from the very uh, first moments and days and weeks of marriage that uh, God wants to use you as a couple to minister and be kind of kingdom tools in his hand to advance his mission. And so what might that look like Uh, for a newly married couple. I think part of that is hopefully you're cultivating a prayer life, Mm. uh, just that God would give both of you not only a passion for the lost around you and perhaps somewhere else in the world even, uh, but he would also give you eyes to see what are ways that you can continue to to share the gospel. Maybe use your uh, new home, whether that's an apartment or a townhouse or a home, to uh, to provide hospitality and be gospel-centered to encourage believers but also for those unbelievers in your life. Maybe it's a, a colleague, a workmate, somebody else. So I think you can start with those types of things. I would say I think there's something very biblical about uh, focusing in on your marriage for that first year. I don't think that means that you cut off all relationships, particularly with uh, non-believers. but I think that means that you see uh, your husband or your wife as a as a place for ministry, but you also see that as an opportunity to help uh, push them out to continue to engage uh, on God's mission. And so how do we do that together? Because again, Scott, uh, you know as well as I do that I had a ministry before I got married, but honestly, it's much better since I got married because right. my wife pushed those days where I'm down, uh, she pushes me out the door. Right. Uh, those days where I'm excited, sometimes I grab her and, and pull her along with me. And so I think as newlyweds, uh, you can still be very active in God's mission through your local church, uh, through the use of your time and your home, uh, and then considering what does God want to do with us now? Maybe it is taking us to mm. another city or another nation. Yeah, that's great. You know, our experience over the years is that uh, – you know, when you get married, the Bible says that you are one, mm-hmm. and that ought to involve God's call, right? Amen. Yeah, And so right. as you work together, uh, it's not just that uh, some guy marries a girl and suddenly she loses whatever calling she had. Right. Uh, she's so, 
Um, there's a there's a calling as a couple, calling as a family Amen. to serve yeah. together. I know that's your and Paige's experience, my and mm-hmm. Leslie's experience, yeah. Nathan's experience as well with his wife as yeah, they serve right. together, uh, serve the underground and persecuted churches around the world. Uh, that you do come together, you work together, you serve together. There's encouragement, there's strength mm. uh, as you as you bring this together. Another question that comes in again, thank you for tuning in to the Scent Life this week. This is Stump the mm-hmm. Professor week <laughs> as we're dealing with uh, questions from the listeners, and uh, we would like more questions. Yeah. So. Feel free to shoot those in. But Greg, another question that comes in is this one. What can an established church, uh, and by that I probably could be a pastor of established church okay. or uh, somebody who's on ministry to established church, what lessons can they learn or what could be some takeaways uh, from those who are engaged in, say, frontier or pioneer missions? Hey, my name is Sam Morris. I am the Director of Admissions here at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. I want to personally invite you to come to the Seminary Preview Day on Thursday, April 22nd, 2021. This is a day where we will serve you to try to find out whether or not Southeastern is the place God is calling you to be equipped for the Great Commission. The cost of the day is minimal at $20 per person, uh, but you will be able to have multiple meals with faculty and staff as well as Uh, Meet the various offices on campus who will be serving you during your time here as a student. Please register today by visiting sebts.edu and going to the Visit Us page. Good question. Uh, you could almost, uh, I'd love to get a, a pastor of an established church on here with somebody that's more in what would be considered more frontier be a good missions. good podcast for the future. That's right. So today is Stump the Professor, so it's your <laughs> yeah, turn to answer that's that true. That's true. See, that's how you answer <laughs> questions with another question. Um, mm-hmm. uh, what could they learn? I, I think they can, uh, again, learn from one another, but I do think there's value in those that are kind of living and serving in more frontier or pioneer areas. And what would they uh, maybe tell or model for an established church is that the community, even the community surrounding an established church, is not static. Good point. And the people aren't the same even as they were five years ago, much less maybe 50 years ago. And so there's always a need to continue to re-engage the people and the community around you. And I think those in frontier areas do that really well. But sometimes as we see the church grow and develop, we forget about that. So I think having that very active engagement mentality of engage the lost, know the community, what are the current needs that we as the church, as opposed to the rest of the culture, how can we minister in really tangible ways that keeps the gospel central? And so I would say that would be kind of a main lesson uh, with all of that. That's good. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, as we think about that, is, is this idea of, of attacking uh, the lostness of your community. Right. Yeah. Uh, there's this idea of appreciating um, um, the the fact that people don't know Jesus. Sometimes we're in an established context long enough, and we kind of forget that there are lost people around no, us. We right. get consumed mm-hmm. with the day-to-day church activity, where somebody that's in a frontier mission setting is always reminded of the lostness of their community, yeah. the creativity for evangelism, yeah. the, the the drive for discipleship. So I think that there are some yeah. things that we can learn mm-hmm. 
and can be reminded from the frontier right. that the frontier missionary brings to uh, brings to the church. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, why don't we go to a quick break? When we come back, uh, uh, Scott's been asking me the questions, and so I'm going to put him on the hot seat the after table. we come back. <laughs> Thanks for joining us again on this episode of the Scent Life Podcast. Uh, it is uh, Ask Your Question. We'll try to give an answer or stump the professor. And uh, as we went into break, I was the one trying to fumble through all these answers. Uh, but now uh, the tables are turned, as it were, Scott. So uh, we've had some good questions come in. And, uh, again, we're always uh, looking for more questions. Uh, you as the listeners, you have other questions or even ideas uh, of subjects or areas you would like us to tackle in future episodes. We uh, we want to be here to serve you, make this a useful resource, so continue to reach out uh, to us. So here are a couple questions, uh, or at least one that came in. Okay. Um, I think this is a great question that probably everybody has, not just once, but over and over again. Here's the question. All right, Scott, how does, how does God use his people for his mission despite our failures and faults? Why did I get that one? Well, <laughs> I don't want to read into it, but... <laughs> As I'm taking that personally. You know, in Alabama, we have a, uh, we have a saying that God can hit a straight lick with a crooked <laughs> stick. And uh, the, the, the response that I tend to give to that is what choice does he have, right? I mean, mm. every one of God's people are broken fallen and uh and and have faults so how does god use us i think there are a couple of ways one you know paul is really clear that um uh, paul in the bible uh not paul your student um (laughs) but paul is really clear that it is uh that god uses us and our fallenness as a place to demonstrate his patience and to demonstrate his grace so Mm -hmm. how can he use us despite our flaws and despite our faults, I think it's that in those flaws and in those faults, God demonstrates his goodness, his grace, his love. Mm. After all, if God can use and love somebody like me, Mm. then there's nobody else around that God can't use and can't love. The other thing is this. I think that uh, as we are pursuing the Lord and confessing uh, sins, confessing our flaws, we're growing spiritually, Mm. and that keeps the gospel fresh in our own life. I think about the story of the woman who uh, who broke the uh, the perfume mm-hmm, over mm-hmm. Jesus' yeah. feet, right? The Pharisee was real arrogant. Hey, why would she do this? And Jesus just reminds him. He says, hey, it's the one that's been forgiven much that has the most love. Mm. And our, our flaws and our faults, when we realize them, it keeps the gospel hot in our lives. Mm. No, that's Be- good. Because we're reminded of God's goodness and God's forgiveness. So when I see someone out there who's, who's, who's flawed or fallen, Rather than jumping arrogantly to, oh, look how much better I am, I'm reminded, no, they need the gospel. The gospel helped me. The gospel can help that person as well. So how does God use us? I think God uses us because he doesn't have a choice. (laughs) Uh, But I think that that it's in our flaws, it's in our fallenness that God glorifies himself. Hmm. uh, And it's in that that God keeps us ready for service and ready to serve him. No, that's helpful. So, so God using us despite our failures and flaws, which are many, we mm. all have them, uh, is not only what he designed. I mean, he called us to be a part of his mission, and right. so he knows that. Right. But also, like you're saying, uh, that's also another testimony to the uh, amazing 
beauty and picture of the gospel and the grace of God in our lives that he does use us. Yeah, I mean, God doesn't expect us to be perfect people before he uses us. It's not like he's shocked with our humanity. It's not like God's in heaven looking down going, well, gosh, I can't use that person. Look what a nitwit they are. The fact is that that's where we all sit. And God doesn't use us just in spite of this. Mm -hmm. It's that God uses us and we are flawed and, right. and, and broken. So here's another question, okay. and this is a this is kind of a big question, so we might just get a, a brief start here. Okay. We may even pick this up in another episode. It deals with uh, one of your uh, kind of sweet spot areas, Scott, okay. uh, the area of contextualization. Okay. And it's a general question, but, but let's just see where you take it. The question is this, what level of contextualization is or is not <laughs> biblical? Wow. Okay. Stump the prop. <laughs> First of all, if anybody's really interested in this, you can come to Southeastern Seminary and sign up for my class. I teach a whole semester <laughs> class on this on this time. Let me see if I can give a real quick answer. Yeah. So for those that uh, aren't aren't neck deep in the mission world, contextualization is a it's an effort uh, that missionaries make uh, to communicate mm-hmm. and to live out the gospel in a way that's understandable to people in a given context. Good. So uh, sometimes we miss the mark when we don't appreciate the fact that people are different than we are. It could be that they're, the language is different, the, the culture is different. Sometimes the, the words that we say, the illustrations that we choose to use, the way that we live distorts the message of the gospel. It doesn't actually enhance the message. So contextualization is an attempt to, um, to strip out the part that is our culture. Because remember, we don't have an a-cultural understanding of the gospel, right? right? The, the fact that we use words, we use illustration, we live our life means that our culture influences the way that we communicate and live out in the gospel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what we want to do is communicate it in such a way that our cultural um, nuances don't distort the gospel. Yeah. There is a time, however, when contextualization can go wrong. Okay. Uh, that it that it does distort the message. So our efforts to clarify things actually make them worse. Hmm. The technical way to say this would be if we if we are attempting to contextualize in a way that makes a faulty worldview um, spiritual hmm. normalized. Okay. Because worldview, you know, it's the way that we interpret life. It's the way that right. we make sense of a senseless world, and it comes with interpretive features. That hmm. is, what I believe about God, what I believe about the purpose in life, and these types of things. And when we try to contextualize the gospel in such a way that we embrace a non-Christian worldview as the point of Mm. contact, we distort the message. Let me give you the best example that I know that's familiar um, to to most of our hearers would be the prosperity gospel uh, that we see running rampant in the United States and around the world. So I would say that the prosperity gospel is at its best, and we know that there are probably some real genuine charlatans who are involved in this, but at its best, the prosperity gospel is an attempt to interpret the Christian message to a uh, to an American or Western context, mm-hmm. so God is real, God blesses people, but in doing this, we absorb or take in a materialistic mm-hmm. uh, worldview mm-hmm. that blessing then is interpreted as financial blessing. Right. Blessing is interpreted as physical healing, mm-hmm. sort of this health and wealth gospel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when I change the Christian message to embrace a faulty worldview, 
I over contextualize and I distort the message. Yeah. We could do the same thing in an Islamic context, right. in a Buddhist context. We could do it for Southern fried religion mm-hmm. when we <clears throat> when we fold in everything about uh, uh, about life and we just make that Christian. Think about country music, right? I love country music, but there's so much that you listen to that's like this is not Christianity as we find in the Bible. This is a cultural overly contextualized mm. embracing of a message that's too deeply anchored in a faulty worldview. Yeah. So when does it go too far? When it anchors there. The, the problem that we have as well is that we sometimes those errors keep us from actually involving ourselves in contextualization. No, We're okay. too afraid to fall over in this syncretistic side right. that we don't actually realize we need to make an effort to help people see yeah. and understand the gospel and really appreciate the way that culture actually influences our own life. Right. No, and I think that's really helpful. In fact, I uh, we probably should come back at a future episode sure. and just deal with this, uh, even that point that you ended on of, uh, you know, we do have to deal with culture. And, and even what you said before, there is no such thing as an acultural gospel. Right. Uh, you know, the scholar Andrew Walls talks about Christianity going forth, and it's actually made stronger and better as it engages with various cultures around the world. So good answer, um, <laughs> but we'll add to that in a future podcast, sure. so stay tuned. All right. I think this will be our last question. Uh, It's a good one to end on as we think about uh, living the sent life. Here's the question. Uh, What does relational evangelism look like? Relational evangelism, well, that's a great one. So I think I would say a couple things about relationship evangelism. First of all, uh, we're for it. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's kind of this there's kind of this idea that uh, religion and politics are always off limits mm-hmm. uh, in familiar settings, okay. and if we're not careful, then we can we can relegate evangelism only to strangers, and we hmm. don't really think we should share the gospel with people that we know, that we love, right. we care about. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I would say about relational evangelism is this: that there are moments in every relationship where we need to articulate with words very clearly yeah, what right. we believe. Yeah. We need to tell people, this is who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. It can be through your personal testimony. This is mm-hmm. what Jesus has done for me. Yeah. Uh, it could be uh, through your, your, your prayer life. It could just be through expounding something about mm-hmm. the gospel. At yeah. the same time, for those who are closest to us, mm. relational evangelism also looks like the way that we live. Yeah, it's go. almost yeah. like the, 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 the deeper the relationship we have with somebody, mm. the less often we preach or, or talk and the more often we live so okay. that our life opens the door yeah, for words. That's good. The more shallow a relationship we have with a person, mm-hmm. the more our words matter, no, the less right. our life matters. We tend to flip that, yeah. right? No, that's right. We tend to think that, well, lifestyle evangelism would mean that I want to live my life in a certain way that a stranger would see me and say, hey, you're different. Can you tell me about yeah. Jesus? And then with those that we live around, we just want to preach, 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 and talk a right. lot. The, actually, we should flip that, yeah. right? No, Those good. that we don't know very well can't observe anything in our life that right. would be unique. They yeah. just think that we're weird, <laughs> um, and we probably are. Yeah. But but the the weirdness or the oddity uh, is not what attracts attention. It's our words. Yeah. For those that we're closest to, good. it's our life and our words. I don't think relationship evangelism is ever without words. That's right. No, I agree. Uh, but but we don't need to think that every time we're around an unbelieving uh, sibling or unbelieving family member or friend that we have to always mm-hmm. teach, 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 preach, 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 talk, talk, talk. Right. We can some in the in a book that that I recently wrote with with Steve McKinnon, 
uh, uh, Sharing Jesus Without Freaking Out, the second edition mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of that book, we actually make the point that there are times in a relationship when we may say, I want to verbally share the gospel, say every fifth or sixth time that we get to know one another or that we get together, but not every single time. We don't want to be unwelcome guests around people right. so that they're like, well, gosh, here comes Greg. Every time he <laughs> comes, he has to tell me how much of a sinner I am. We yeah. shouldn't do that, but there needs to be this moment where mm-hmm. we do say something about the gospel. Yeah, no, that's really helpful. Too often, I think, in relational or relationship evangelism, we kind of pit relationship and evangelism at odds with that's each right. other. And what you're saying is, no, they actually work hand in hand. Evangelism centers on uh, speaking the gospel, but it should happen in the context of real relationship. Good point. Uh, and so sometimes, you know, if it's family and friends, people that I'm around more, sometimes it's the living of that life and relationship that provides, I like how you said that, Scott, the doorway to speaking the gospel, mm-hmm. whereas around strangers, sometimes the doorway is open by speaking the gospel. Right. Uh, and, uh, and again, I would encourage our listeners, uh, Scott mentioned, but uh, the book that he and Steve McKinnon wrote together, uh, Sharing Jesus Without Freaking Out, is very, uh, very well done. But more than that, I would just say it's a, a super helpful feet to the ground. Uh, how do I share my faith in everyday life? So I'd encourage you to go uh, look for that book. Uh, but again, I think uh, we'll save the rest of these questions for the next time we're on the Scent Life podcast. For you listeners, thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, uh, let us know about that. Uh, like us, uh, share the link, uh, encourage others to listen alongside with you. Again, reach out with more questions that you might have. Uh, we want to do more of these episodes. We also uh, like to hear from you about what you want to hear about on the Scent Life podcast. Again, uh, we have a missionary God. Uh, we are his people, and he sends us out moment by moment, day by day, here and around the world on his mission. Thanks again for listening to the Scent Life podcast. Mm-hmm.